Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, world, and welcome back to week four, week four already, of NBC Sports Edge's DFS Building Block Show. I am your host, as always, John Daigle, with improved internet this week as well, joined by friend in life, someone who I believe is also coming off a very good week. It is none other than Kyle Dvorak. Kyle, did you learn anything? Did you have a good week? What happened in week three? Uh, when you said I had a good week, I was like... Damn, I had a good week. I wish someone had told oh, maybe me. You did then. Okay. Uh, well, I had a really good. Uh, maybe what you're talking about. I had a really good showdown. Uh, really good showdown night. They seem. I don't know. Whatever. Some night. I don't remember. There are too many. Way too many slates to like actually try and think about which one I had a good night. Uh, I didn't have a great week because I was just playing a lot of large field tournaments and I had a lot of Josh Allen and I didn't pair him with Najee Harris or like Cooper Cup. Right. I I was probably where I wanted to be. I think maybe the only thing I've thought about is like I had a lot of even in like smaller field tournaments. I had a lot of Josh Allen and Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders stacks. And going into the slate, I probably could have played Cooper Cup or Chris Godwin, like those types of, of players, the, the chalkier receivers in those lineups. And after seeing the the performance that was Josh Allen, I should have swapped onto those. I mean, that's already a lot of salary and positions tied down the early slate. So maybe I just couldn't have done it. But I think knowing how much leverage having those pieces hit gave me, uh, I definitely need to work on like sizing the amount of leverage I have in an individual lineup relative to the field size. I was playing probably too similar. I was playing that same type of stack with no chalk elsewhere in large field and small field. So it wasn't a, a great week. So I just like playing a lot of mostly large field. If you don't have the nuts, you're, you know, you're 5Xing on a top 1%, a top 0.1% lineup. But uh, I did have a good showdown week. So it was a very profitable week uh, because of that, I guess. I also need to remember, luckily it's early and we can still take advantage of this, that the one-off cheap pieces in good matchups or have yet to perform, but the data shows everything is trending in the right direction, are still amazing for your optimal stacks. Like last week, the nuts were Justin Herbert, who we talked about in the double stack, which is why I had a very good week, which just made up for how poorly I did in weeks one and two. And then... The optimal had Emmanuel Sanders in it as just a one-off piece for the Bills. You didn't even need Josh Allen on FanDuel to take down all the mid and high stakes tournaments. On DraftKings, it made sense because you could shove in Emmanuel Sanders and Diggs or Cole Beasley with him. And so that's why he was in the optimal there. But so far, yeah, you just got to remember, I have to remember anyways, that these little one-off pieces in good spots, I'm sure we're going to talk about a few today, are totally fine if everything behind the scenes is trending in the right direction. Yeah, I definitely uh, definitely need to pay attention to that and just pay attention to, like like you said, you didn't need, um, you know, in small field stuff, you don't need the absolute nuts. Like any, if anything, just 
be pushing for correlation, like go sort of overboard on correlation, if anything. Like Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders on their own right don't seem to be the high-end pieces. Uh, obviously, they're not the high-end pieces of this attack. But if you over-correlate, and I don't know, maybe the Bills score 41 points, you could have just played chalk after that. Uh, at least I could have, and I didn't. So definitely something I need to hone in on. As always, this is an interactive show every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, unless you're listening live Saturday morning on the podcast feed. But we like to take questions throughout. We will continue to do this throughout this show, except this week, we, of course, we are going to start with none other than our decision point. And that is the one conundrum that comes up midweek when we're building lineups throughout. So I would like to get started with your decision point and the issue you've been having when building lineups this week, Kyle. Um, for me, especially with the news we got with all of the Titans receivers being out, it's just how to approach the Titans, right? Because I think that's where uh, a lot of the chalk this week is going to come from. Now we expect Derrick Henry. I mean, he was Derrick Henry was already perfectly in play, given that even at reasonable, uh, reasonable popularity now with this newfound pass catching role, I believe like th- two of his five most targeted games doesn't take a lot for Derrick Henry to be. He's only targeted 18 targets shy of his career yeah. high right now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Two of his five most targeted games, maybe it's six most targeted games have come in the first three weeks of the season. So now when you get that pass catching role, I'm already thinking, well, okay, you know, we were playing, you know, 20% roster Dalvin Cook last year because he's a great runner and he catches passes. We don't think of Derrick Henry like that, but the Titans do three weeks into the season and now they have no other points on their offense to to be found really. Uh, This is kind of the question. And are you pivoting to Nick Westbrook, Keene, Chester Rogers, Anthony Ferkser? I don't even know who else plays. Like those are the guys I could name on this team, honestly. So uh, if you're going to get maybe the largest share of a team's offense on from a running back on the entire week, is that, uh, you know, quote, good chalk. And are the, are the cheap punt receivers who I am just learning who they are also viable. So, on DraftKings, I think you chase it anyways, since you're going to get the points for his newfound pass catching role, and the floor is significantly higher there. Yeah. But on FanDuel, I think it's where it becomes an interesting conversation because the price is 10 2 this week. And if you get, let's say, like uh, last week's, I believe he had 18 points, of course you're not happy with that at 10 2. Um, even with you know, four to five receptions. It just doesn't matter at that price. You have to have the league winning blow up game and not saying he can't get there. He probably will, but mm-hmm. you have to ask yourself what you're sacrificing. Cause it's not just I'm paying up for Derrick Henry. It's what you're taking away from your lineup. And that's why it's not about fading him. It's about what other players you're fading him them or whoever you're sacrificing him for. And so I think someone like, you know, Tyree killer, Devonte Adams can easily match Derrick Henry. And I'm getting those players plus 2K salary, give or take, extra to spend elsewhere if I get off Henry. And so I'm curious to see what his roster numbers are going to come in as. But right now, I think that's really hefty to pay on Fandle. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is uh, that's crazy. I did not realize he was that expensive. on And, uh, on and like we actually have the Dalvin Cook news now limited throughout the oh, week, really? trending towards likely going to play. At least that's the news to me that he's going to play. And remember, he missed a game last week, last year with an injury, and they brought him right back over his last nine starts. He handled 252 of 283 backfield touches, 89% for Minnesota. And so I genuinely think being the same organization, same coaching staff, that they're just going to show him right in there again over Alexander Madison. So now that we have another high-priced running back you can combat and get off Henry for, I think like there are just a number of different ways to go, and I don't need to stuff Henry in there. Yeah, last week even, uh, Mike Zimmer said, 
if Dalvin Cook is playing, we're giving him we're giving him the primary role, we're giving him the normal role mm-hmm. because we need him to help us start finding wins. Uh, so I think he's already talked about it that if Dalvin Cook is is active, that means he's healthy. They're not keeping him active just to be, uh, you know, take away a few carries from Alexander Madison. If he's active, he's Dalvin Cook. And we've seen, like you said, we've seen this before. It shouldn't be awfully surprising if we see Dalvin Cook come back and just play like Dalvin Cook. And if you get a, a certain amount of roster ship discount going down from, you know, even Alvin Kamara, but I think especially it'll be Derrick Henry, going down from Derrick Henry to Dalvin Cook, who could have a very similar workload in a spot that expects to feature a lot of points as well. Uh, there's definitely leverage to be had at that spot. So finding out, like figuring out the Dalvin Cook enigma, their team total is also, it's dropping a little bit, but it's the Jets. So there's a pretty healthy floor of you being able to score points against the Jets. Uh, for me, that is, uh, that's the question. And it sounds like you're, especially on FanDuel, but even on DraftKings, it sounds like you are comfortable at least having lineups that have pivots off of Derrick Henry. Yeah, and on FanDuel, the pivot is maybe Derrick Henry, maybe Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams because you can get both in if you don't have Henry. Whereas on DraftKings, like I think you play him, and even in playing him, I wonder what percentage, because I don't think it's a lot, is also going to play Corey Davis or Denzel Mims because I think both of them are genuinely viable this week. Corey Davis is obviously the higher floor in smaller fields. I think Denzel Mims is is actually a good uh, Millie play, knowing already he's going to be active. And so I think a skinny stack like that is how I would do it on DK right now. Is is Keelan Cole active? I feel like... Keelan Cole is going to get, uh, Keelan Cole is more likely to be this team's wide receiver too. I know they are, uh, as James Crowder's not out yet, but like the dude doesn't. James Crowder's going to play. Uh, oh, having it? said that, I'm still curious. I don't know how much he plays over Mims. Okay, don't be wrong there. That's why Corey Davis is, like Corey Davis is a play I've been eyeing since Sunday night. Yeah. I saw this matchup and I was like, this is the Corey Davis game in a great spot. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't think you need, I don't think, Corey Davis will be, I would imagine he's probably not that popular. I can't, I just can't imagine people playing Jets. I think they're more likely to play expensive Titans defense against the Jets than they are to actually play Jets players, which I, I'm perfectly fine going to Jets players. But because I don't think Jets will be that popular, I don't think you need to reach down to like a, a Denzel Mims, a, a Keelan Cole, who I threw out these types of guys, when you can just soak up so many of the targets by playing Corey Davis. But I do like the idea of instead of saying this is, uh, you know, a Derrick Henry team defense correlation it is that uh we get so so much passing volume from the other side and maybe i don't know the number two overall pick who threw like 11 yards per attempt 33 touchdowns and three interceptions in his final college season maybe that guy's good maybe he's good he hasn't looked good but it's not impossible that it is a a small sample of difficult matchups that he played because i do think zach wilson has played three of the top six overall teams in yards per play allowed although playing zach wilson has kind of made that easy so far and I know Melo Bello when the chat mentions punting tight end, the issue about punting tight end on FanDuel, whereas on DraftKings, you absolutely can get away yeah. with it every single week. Yep. But on FanDuel, it's just a structural thing since Travis Kelsey is only three, 3.5K more than the cheapest tight end. And those catches don't matter. Like if you play Dawson Knox, for instance, very cheap, like you need two touchdowns to match Kelsey since the receptions just at half PPR are very minimal to bring the margin of scoring much closer. So really on FanDuel, I don't even ever try to punt. I just play one of the top guys and we love the spot for Kelsey. So that's also why in paying up for Henry, that's not a position on FanDuel. If I did so, that I would punt. 
Yeah, no, that is like uh, I, there are, there aren't a lot of of correct answers in DFS, but like arguably that is a correct answer, literally just based on the the mathematical structure of the pricing. FanDuel squishes their pricing down, but that causes I mean that causes the punt guys to not look that much different in price than the expensive guys. Whereas the uh, the DraftKings pricing, it to go from Will Disley to uh, to Travis Kelsey is over like. That is, you'd have to multiply his salary uh, between three and four times doing the back of the napkin math to get up to the, the Kelsey pricing. So you can actually survive on just a few catches and a, a touchdown or whatever. Whereas FanDuel, because you don't you don't gain that much by going down. So I, I'm not saying there are always correct answers, but like you pretty much hit the nail on the head on just how the pricing forces you to play real tight ends on FanDuel. And as Permore states in the chat, just Dak Henry and Tennessee defense, I think that's going to be the chalk yeah. And also, again, I don't think this matchup fares well for the Titans. I genuinely believe in the Jets in this spot. Now, if you disagree, of course, uh, Henry and Titans. But I think it's enough to where even if you don't play Henry, you can get away with playing Jets defense, for instance, who are the very cheapest, just 3K on FanDuel and very low on DraftKings as well. And that's kind of an option I'm looking into, pending if how much I want to jam in there and where I get at in the running backs, particularly on FanDuel. That's why I'm curious, as we move on here, for your highest rostered player or pivot this week? I would imagine, I mean, it probably won't be my highest uh, rostered player in terms of percentage, but if you were to look at it in terms of percentage versus the field, uh, dovetailing into that pivot, so far I have seen a, a few different projections for players that uh, do not have Kyler Murray as in a particularly popular quarterback. And it's probably because especially now, it's uh, on FanDuel especially, but even the pricing on DraftKings makes it so it's difficult to pay up for your shot or like your your easygoing Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins stack, and then add in, you know, Derrick Henry. You're just really squeezing your pricing down. So I haven't seen uh, around a few different projections that uh, make Kyler Murray look like he's going to be that popular. His game has the highest total of the week, and he's actually an underdog, which will force them to drop back more. He's top 10 in both passing yards and rushing yards uh, among quarterbacks, obviously. And he's only one of two quarterbacks who can say that. Mahomes has the other except he's beating both uh, beating both rushing and passing against Mahomes. So, I mean, he's the QB1 with a pretty big gulf between him and QB3. Mahomes is close by. And DraftKings knocked his pricing down just a little bit, plus DeAndre Hopkins' price comes down a little bit. So, I mean, I, things could change, right? Maybe people use the, uh, the lack of both the receiving sides in the Jets-Titans game to find punt receivers and pay up for all the studs. But so far, I think if, if Kyler Murray's anything other than a top – three rostered quarterback i will just go massively over the field on him because we know we've seen it through three weeks he just has catastrophic upside that maybe three or four other guys have and i'm seeing right now that or this friday could change overnight but he's being projected at single digit roster percentage which obviously makes him a terrific play also the stack is pretty simple since as Melo bella points out the ramsey shadow for hopkins one I don't know if he shadows and I don't care since DeAndre yeah. Hopkins is elite talent anyways, but two, no one's going to play Hopkins, which makes it an awesome spot. Uh, everyone's going to try to get on Cooper cup or go cheaper with, with uh, Robert Woods. Whereas Hopkins was full at practice on Thursday and Friday. He's been banged up the last six quarters, hence his target share and why he just hasn't been honed in on now at full health in a juicy spot, man, he's an awesome play especially if you're playing Kyler Murray at single-digit numbers. Not sure I'll get there, but it's absolutely something I was looking at, especially because I'm interested in a lot of the Ram spots, including, and this is going to get a little wild, I think Sony Michelle's a good play if Henderson's active because I don't know if they go back to Henderson. And 
at worst, I can leave him in my flex, knowing I also have Elijah Mitchell probably to get there if it need be, or Henderson if we need to. But we know we can just use the flex and late swap as an afternoon game to leave Michelle as a placeholder, maybe get some news, and then go a different way since the Vikings-Cleveland game, I believe, is also in the afternoon, right? Is that an afternoon? Should, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, good, good. I'll go Green Bay-Pittsburgh also in the afternoon if you want to go Oh, wait, sorry. There. It is not in the afternoon. I just checked. I have my uh, my Green Bay-Pittsburgh in the afternoon. Yeah, Rams, Cardinals in, uh, Cardinals in the afternoon. There's one other. Seattle 49ers, I would assume. Both West That's Coast teams. One, yeah. And that one will have news. Maybe. It will. It may be, depending on the, the status of a, a Schefter 4 p.m. bomb. Uh, we don't know the status of Tyler Lockett right now. If we have uh, correct, I don't, I, you know, I checked that. I checked NBC news right before I got on to make sure I didn't miss anything. But as of right now, he's uh, looking like questionable with a hip injury, which is interesting because I thought it was actually, uh, they said it was a knee injury coming out of that uh, game where he left for a little bit. But they say hip injury, they say questionable. And if we don't get that news until after lock, like DK Metcalf could come in as like a middling, you know, high single digit, low double digit popularity type of guy who should be like, cash game chalk if you tell me you're getting dk metcalf without a number three receiver because i believe Dwayne eskridge was already ruled out and then obviously more importantly without number two receiver also without the number one tight end though they have like none Mm -hmm. of their number ones if tyler lockett doesn't go if tyler lockett does go he's probably at less than full health and dk metcalf without all those other ancillary pieces still a good play but if tyler lockett doesn't go i mean he would be a cash game player so having that uh having that spot open Maybe, you know, having two spots, if there's expensive running back, you want to play in the late slate and cheap wide receiver or vice versa, doing something like that where you can find ways to pivot up to Metcalf if the news comes in late. If, you know, five hours from now, Schefter's out here tweeting Tyler Lockett's full go or he's not, it won't matter. But it's important to know that we have that option as of the recording of this. Well, worst case scenario also is that you have the Elijah Mitchell news trickling down to Trey Sermon as well. Mm -hmm. And... George Kittle news coming in, assuming we don't get either of those overnight from Schefter. So just another week, in my opinion, where we have two favorable games to use late swap for, at least in your flex, just like last week when we had Alexander Madison, like ready to go just in case we need to get off of him. I'll be using the Rams Cardinals game for sure. And at least two of my spots, one being the flex ready to late swap up, depending how, whether we use Henry or not, since he'll come in as a chalk, no matter what, and he's in the noon game. So, or the 1 p.m. game. So we may need to be careful with our late swaps there. So I think it's a great spot to do so. My highest but, roster player, go ahead. I was going to say, our researcher, Johnny, says we have Ravens, Broncos in the late slate. Uh, I, I don't. You can, use that, you can use that one too, honestly. Uh, Tim Patrick is like reasonable. Tim uh, Patrick is a, is a decent player there. Good player. He had three, I believe, 100-yard games last year uh, playing with worst quarterback play. Also reasonably maybe more target volume. But yeah, Tim Patrick definitely at least in play. He's like, He's a legitimately good player. There's like a lot of wide receiver threes that like whenever they step in, I think they're very good. And then they disappear after that. He's one of them. And as our, uh, our producer, Johnny also points out Melvin Gordon questionable in the afternoon too. So he was limited all week. We think he's going to play, but you know, leave it hanging out there in the flex. That's why we use late swap. That's how we get an edge over the field. As everyone's drinking with their friends, we are hating our personal lives and winning money. That's the whole point. Uh, My highest roster player. I think my favorite player on this entire slate, Nick Chubb is in the most amazing spot I could imagine this week. Right now, Beckham is projected at top 10 numbers at receiver, and he's an awesome play. But to think that you can't stack Nick Chubb is wild after, I understand, a 22 disappointing carries didn't get there since he didn't score a touchdown, and that's what it needs to be. But if you're telling me, like, everyone's going to play Derrick Henry with the same, maybe not the same ceiling, but 100 yards, two touchdowns, 
And I know I can get that from Nick Chubb in an amazing spot against a bottom three defense against the run and EPA in what I think they'll want to do is slow down the game. The issue is both offenses are so good. I still am not of the belief this game is going to come under and be a low scoring affair. Uh, the Browns defense, for instance, I think is getting some recency bias reaction since they did allow six and a half yards for play to the Chiefs, of course, in week one, it's the Chiefs, but also to Tyra Taylor, first half of week one, 7.2 yards for play. Over the last six quarters, though, that everyone is accounting for, Davis Mills, and then, of course, the disaster that was uh, Justin Fields last week and the Bears offense. So I, I want to bet on the Browns defense long term. I understand the talent they have. But also the Greg Newsom ruled out and not knowing yet if the new pieces are gelling, I think it's a the time is ripe to attack them. And you can do that with Beckham or Chubb. But given the fact that Chubb is going to get lost between the Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook conversation and lost above Odell Beckham, who's a cheap, awesome play, I think a Chubb Viking stack is just moi, chef's kiss. Uh, yeah, I struggle with Chubb because he like he is not the traditional type of guy you want to pay up for. He's like less than he's not super expensive right now. His price come down, I believe, compared to last week on DraftKings yeah. at least. Uh, so he's not super expensive. I'm not saying you have to pay you know 8K plus for him, but uh, because right now I believe he is 21st in rushing plus receiving expected fantasy points. But on the other end, he is a he is one of like maybe I would say five running backs who I'm very comfortable saying over the course of a full season, will simply outproduce their uh, expected fantasy points, right? Like, I don't have that type of faith in a lot of players because, you know, the, the offensive line, the play calling, these things are very influential over any individual running back. But there are running backs who break the mold. And Nick Chubb, I'm, I'm confident saying, will be an above-average efficiency player, you know? Mm -hmm. Even my uh, even my spreadsheet nerd mind can recognize that Chubb is probably a an above-average player to an extent that it really does make a difference within the context of his position. He doesn't get a lot of vo a volume relative to, you know, a Derrick Henry, right? At least in terms of expected fantasy points through three weeks. But he doesn't necessarily need it. And last year, he was seeing so many carries that it didn't matter that he wasn't really used as a receiver. And as you said, this is a, a truly terrible defense. They are, I believe, 31st in yards per play allowed, which is forcing them on the other side to throw the ball a lot. I believe Kirk Cousins averages something like 40 pass attempts per game, which is just, it's got to be, you know, sickening for Mike Zimmer, but he doesn't really have a choice. So I think this does shape up to be the type of game that if you don't at least stack, I'm probably boosting for many correlations to get definitely Odell Beckham, Justin Jefferson, but you're at least talking into also including that as Nick Chubb plus Justin Jefferson. I just think Justin Jefferson, the way he's playing right now, the way he's being used, that's what you want from like a, a pay up wide receiver one. And the only problem we've had with him so far is that Adam Thielen keeps taking touchdowns. However, Adam Thielen has the same amount of red zone targets and one more end zone target. He is, he's going to run, you know, like Nick Chubb, he's going to run above his expectation probably because he's a good player in that part of the field, but they're being used so similar that I think we, we really lose sight of how close they should be in terms of touchdown performance. But then when you're getting 45 plus percent of the air yards, a target share north of 30% for Justin Jefferson, that's where he really steps ahead of someone like Adam Thielen. So the scoring for them too has been uh, probably not as, as separated as it will be going forward. So I like this game at, at a minimum from a mini stack perspective. And it can be, like you said, Jefferson, it can be Dalvin Cook. You can go Chubb and Dalvin Cook. That's still a valid skinny stack for an over-under that's 51 and a half. And 
as Silva mentioned, the ETR betting podcast this week, I told him 52 on Sunday night. It came back at us. It was not the best number since it was 51 <laughs> and a half. I'm still combating the Sharps. I think this game goes over. I think everyone else is looking at the wrong thing, and that's my famous last words as I lose my bank account. But, man, I still love this game environment so much, and uh, I think I'm just looking at it differently. So I love Chubb, especially in a skinny stack, even though I'm very open right now to – Cousins double stacks with Chubb coming back, especially if Beckham is going to be the one everyone gravitates to because his mid-range price, even though he had a team I target share nine targets last week at what he looked like full health, is going to be the way you get attraction to this game usually since it allows you to pay up at running back. That's why I think Chubb fits perfectly right in the middle where just no one sees him and he goes overlooked. For you though, now that we've talked about a couple of our situations, highest rostered players, who is your top fade or situation you're fading the most in this slate? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it worked. I think in the past two weeks, fading the uh, the top game, it's 50-50. Last week, uh, got burned trying to not play Cooper Cup, trying to get fancy and not play Cooper Cup, not play Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin didn't blow up, but he did have that. Uh, I was like a rushing touchdown or something. I don't know. Uh, but this week, I, it looks like at least from the initial projections, I think once, you know, unsurprisingly a good game, the uh, Dallas versus Carolina game will be one of the most popular plays of the week, uh, simply because it has a high total and the prices really don't quite seem to account for it. The quarterbacks are cheap. The wide receivers, like, you know, Amari Cooper is... 6K flat. That's just not a great price for him. CeeDee Lamb, 6,700, seeing a crazy share of the team's offensive and offense that we want to attack. But I simply fall back on the fact that there are at least two games that Vegas has projected to score more points than this. Plus, depending on your book, there could be one more because I think the uh, the Seattle-San Francisco game has a tied total on some books as this Carolina-Dallas game. So if Vegas is telling me it's not even the best spot of the entire slate, I'm willing to spend a little bit more of my salary dollars to get into that Cardinals game, to get into the Chiefs game, because at the end of the day, we're trying to score raw points. The fact that they have better points per dollar projections in the in the Dallas game is good. It helps you, especially when building something like a hash game lineup. But at the end of the day, you're just going to need to start racking up 30 points at a bunch of positions, right? So if it's going to be the most popular game, I'm probably going to say I'm limiting myself to one-offs. Maybe the uh, contrarian approach to this game is just playing the running backs. We saw it last week with Dallas. If they get out to a lead, they have a running back who they're perfectly fine, just feeding goal line touches, just fattening Zeke up with goal line touches. All you need is him to steal a few touchdowns. And you could say the same for Chubba Hubbard, who played 73% of the snaps once Christian McCaffrey went down. If either of these guys comes out and has a multi-touchdown performance, the game probably isn't one you want to have full stacks of. So that's like the the only uh, real avenue I have for attacking this game. And it's especially easy this week because we knew last week that the LA versus Tampa Bay game was likely to lead the slate in scoring uh, as likely as any individual mm -hmm. game can be. This one isn't even that. It's a few points behind the next two highest scoring games. I think it's simply the most popular game because it's cheaper than the rest, which is good, but it doesn't mean it's the most likely to be in a, in a winning lineup. I'm not kidding. In my notes, uh, top fade of the week is the Cowboys receivers. Let's Since go. Remember, every piece of information is information we can utilize. You don't have to utilize it, but like even in listening to other shows and the way people talk about the DFS slate, the top plays, I listen to even the square stuff because it helps me figure <laughs> out sure. 
what the field's going to be on, and then we can use all of that information to our advantage. Everything we learn is something we can use. It's ignorance if we don't use it. And so just the way, and I'm seeing all the optimizers across the industry, Pop, Amari Cooper, and CeeDee Lamb, totally fine. I get that because of their prices, but it also tells us that's what everyone's, most of the field is going to come in on, and that's why we're not going to come in on it, or at least approach it differently. One of Amari or CeeDee Lamb, or like Zeke, with, you know, double stack Sam Darnold, who's actually tied for the league lead in rushing touchdowns, you know, one or both with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, maybe Robbie Anderson is a standalone piece like Emmanuel Sanders last week. We don't have anything else in the game. That's actually something I've been looking at a lot since we think it's Robbie Anderson week, knowing that the offense changes altogether without Christian McCaffrey and Dan Arnold. And so perhaps they get a more involved in a pretty good situation, but overall, like that's why we're going to be off those two receivers and just treat this game differently. And like you said, the pivot, if you want to get this game, would probably be like skinny stack Zeke and Robbie Anderson. Since Zeke is in an awesome spot, even in scoring two touchdowns last week, no one's going to play him. And there's some really risk of ruin here with the Panthers offense. Maybe they're just worse, honestly, without Christian McCaffrey. And I don't think it's a bad spot since the Cowboys defense, in my opinion, is highly overrated. Still top three in yards per play and yards per attempt allowed right now, even though they've only registered four sacks. They've just had a simple schedule to date. And so, yeah, I do genuinely think that it's either Anderson, maybe as a one-off piece, and maybe Zeke, but that's about it for me in this game. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. I'm so excited that you had that exactly in your notes. And like you said, it's not that like these are literally these types of stacks. If you were just to pull up your favorite optimizer, uh, you know, click minimum one receiver, one run back, and then, you know, shuffle it all up. You're probably getting a lot of this stack. And I think you can make plus EV lineups with these stacks. I just think it is such an easier path by playing other things. If you think you have some sort of edge in playing like a weird Michael Carter type of Michael Carter, Miles Gaskin, run Miles Gaskin back with Zach Pascal and you're like, this is a, a, this is a good lineup. This is the leverage I want is these strange plays. You can probably play chalk outside of that. I just think you are are capturing more EV by uh, moving off of this game and playing other games, which I think have as high, if not higher chances of scoring a lot of points. 
you can make good lineups with this game. I think it's easier to make good lineups with other games. It's also the context of the slate because this is why I actually don't like the slate as a uh, you know mid to high stakes single entry player. I like to dwindle down my possibilities, and it's very hard this week because there's so many. I wouldn't even say like elite plays, but there's so many like plays that would go off, and you just be like, yeah, sure. Like I'm trying mm-hmm. to fit. Terry McLaurin and Calvin Ridley, I don't even know if I can because I think that's an amazing like skinny stack. Even for Kyle Pitts, Pitts played a league high snaps or season high snaps from the boundary as a wide receiver last week because Russell Gage was out. Russell Gage is again out. So what's to tell me that against a very bad defense so far, Pitts can't go nuts against Washington's offense outside of, you know, Atlanta's offense, maybe never <laughs> going nuts. So I think there are just so many plays and for this field to get condensed on two players essentially is wild to me because you can just throw out anyone then if like they're all just going overlooked because they're all just awesome plays across the board. Yeah. Uh, just a side note on Kyle Pitts, who I love as like a, a three week flop lag rebound. It's like a less than a 0.02 less weighted opportunity rating than TJ Hawkinson. Someone everyone thinks is a stud coming off, like having the one good week, but then it's come back down to earth and still looks mostly like TJ Hawkinson in previous years. If you told me just in a, in a vacuum, the best tight end prospect, maybe in the history of the NFL is getting TJ Hawkinson usage. Yeah, I'd be on him. So I like that game as a skinny sack. We talked about a lot of, uh, of, like you said, it is hard to narrow down. We talked about a lot of potential, you know, skinny stacking games. One game that I think I'm interested in, I mean, you have to be interested in full stacking. It's Kansas City uh, versus the Eagles. My only problem is that I do think, you know, given, uh, I I think Patrick Mahomes probably comes in, he always comes in as one of the more popular players. Travis Kelsey, super popular. I would say, uh, per usual, I'm probably just going with Tyreek Hill as opposed to Travis Kelsey because Travis Kelsey being at uh, like an elite option at a position that has, uh, depending on the slate, I don't think uh, Darren Waller's on this slate, has sometimes one elite option. That's really it. I I still think that drives his ownership up a lot, whereas sometimes you can just have a 17-point game from Kelsey, which is good, but it's not enough to outproduce on a salary-adjusted basis like these really ugly Will Disley or like Anthony Perks or whatever this week type of plays. So I tend to lean towards Tyreek Hill in those, and I'll probably just continue playing uh, Meikle Hardman to my own detriment. And you can get to Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill in interesting ways, like with Jalen Hurts, who's pretty severely underpriced on DraftKings. Uh, you can use Devonta Smith if you want, but also you can just run Hurts out there naked too as a unique way to get exposure towards that game since Chiefs defense against the run is so bad. The league's worst. And like, of course, if Hurts gets that five-point bonus for rushing yards on DraftKings, like you're there in a unique way with Kelsey and Hill. So I think there are just lots of ways to get exposure towards that game. And it's very clear that that's how people are trying to focus on this slate. Because even on FanDuel, like Hill and Kelsey, even in standalone options without Mahomes are are pretty sweet, knowing that like this team total 30 and a half, they're going to blow it out the water. Like this say, <laughs> against, the, against the Eagles defense, this ain't happening. This team is not getting stopped. I don't know if you did last week, so going back might not be the right word, but would you consider going back to Clyde Hilaire, who defied all odds by not getting benched after fumbling? That was, I think, the the purest type of run you can go on after, like, Clyde Hilaire, at some point, it was really like, I don't know, man, they might, they might just bench him coming in this game. And then he fumbles immediately. And I was like, oh, he's scoring the negative points from the fumble, and that's it today. Then he just came out, got the 100-yard bonus, scored on a receiving touchdown, and that was the, that was the game plan. So seeing that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is somehow impervious to being benched despite his mistakes, the game has a high total. They are pretty big favorites, and honestly, I'm surprised it's not bigger favorites, over this lowly Philadelphia team. Are you going back to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who I think it might be a, a play where uh, the Chiefs, you can always make this argument, that like 
you just kind of need to have some Chiefs in your lineup. It's very rare that the Chiefs don't produce some player who's in a tournament-winning lineup. It could have even been Mikul Harden last week, who got double-digit points. It wasn't a great game, but he was also pretty cheap. I don't think I am personally. Okay. The, the thing with Kyle edwards Lair, because we're only talking about on DraftKings, is that last week it wasn't even – everyone got lost. It wasn't even a conversation about his talent. It was, what does this player – getting too many touches to be 4,800 allow you to do in your lineup. So it didn't even come down to literally just a blank name. It's a placeholder. But what does this player getting X amount of touches in his range allow you to do? So, like, I don't even care about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the player, honestly, since it allowed us to do so much more to 4,800. Yes, it helped that he got there over 100 yards and got the bonus. But also, if he didn't, I wonder if it was it was even valid since he was so cheap and just allowed us to get exposure and then do else, do other things elsewhere in the lineup. So, now, I understand it's a, not that significant of an increase, but 600 more still, I don't think I'm going to be interested in being on it because I don't think we need it this week. At uh, With other running backs we'll talk about that are – pretty in or that are in that range and i'd rather use that in the afternoon slate to uh to figure it out yeah that makes sense if you want if you want a running back in that range that uh, i don't think will be very popular mike davis is literally fifth and rushing plus receiving expected fantasy points he gets a washington defense that has been nothing but disastrous through three weeks super surprising they have the talent to be a good defense but also one thing defense is just very random year over year it's very hard to predict it's the the touchdowns of entire teams i guess touchdowns also apply to entire mm-hmm. teams but he gets a defense that is not been good through three weeks but i would i would be willing to bet still has more name brand cachet people still especially in, in more casual contests are going to assume you don't want to play against washington despite Washington and their opponents telling us you probably do want to play against Washington this week. So uh, all of Atlanta, I think, is at least worth their at their roster ship at their prices buying in for a bounce back. But Mike Davis, despite the Cordell Patterson, uh, you know, semi gadget usage, still top five in, in the NFL, at least among running backs and expected fantasy points, both rushing and receiving combined. I mean, there are, I get it. He's not like an exciting player anymore. What we saw from him last year probably wasn't truly representative of who he is as a player, but the Falcons are trying to use him like that anyways. And who am I to disagree with the entire uh, organization of the Falcons? Right. Uh, Any other skinny stack ideas or sneaky stacks in general as we move into our stacks portion of the podcast? Yeah, I I think, so I definitely think Devontae Adams going, Devontae Adams at really any price, like last year, the way we saw Devontae Adams used, and we've seen him used this way, uh, you know, outside of they kind of benched everyone in the second half of that Saints game, has been nothing different than last year. He is both the number one receiver for his team and a goal line back for his team, which almost no other wide receiver can say. Mm-hmm. Uh, my only concern, I guess it would probably just be Deontay Johnson on the other side. He got upgraded to a, a full practice, and he, when healthy, which is seemingly rare, especially at the at the end of the first drive right he can enter a game healthy and then just completely every single week feels like he leaves and yet somehow still has like last year one of the most uh most sets of 10 target games that's just how they have been forced to play and we saw it last week when they gave Najee Harris 19 targets and Chase Claypool was banged up at the end of the game 15 targets Pittsburgh, despite trying to change their offensive philosophy, has not had a choice in that this year. So it at least makes their DraftKings PPR type of options, especially Deontay Johnson being the best of them, I would imagine, uh, maybe an interesting skinny stack option with Devontae Adams, who I'm trying to get into my life. Uh, I'm Deontay Johnson is just an awesome play, especially it wasn't just this past Friday that he was full. He was full on Thursday as well, cleared from the injury report altogether. And remember in week one, 
he had not only a team I target share, but also played significantly more snaps, uh, 76% to Chase Claypool, 67% as the team's third wideout who wasn't in on the field on two wide sets. So just as a guy who had 22 targets in week two. Now, since Claypool got downgraded to DMP on Friday, if he gets ruled out, which it looks like, uh, the field's going to catch up to Deontay Johnson. They're going to know he's an awesome play, but I, I kind of want him to be active. Then you can play Deontay Johnson, still having full confidence that he's going to lead the team in targets while still getting the run back on Devontae Adams. I actually think I, I have a little less faith in the field reacting to Chase Claypool being out. Right. So I think this Pittsburgh team just has such a, a stink around them and they're they're not a good team, but they're good enough for fantasy that you're going to get these double-digit target games. They're actually so. great for fantasy since they have no choice but to let yeah. Ben Rosberger throw and and throw for 60 times a game because they genuinely don't have another option. Handing it off to Najee Harris is a waste of time since mm-hmm. he's since he's averaging the fewest yards per contact before touching the ball. And if it's going to condense down like to Deontay or Juju, like we know it's going to be Deontay. So yeah, it's, it's actually is an awesome situation for high floor anyway. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Ben Osberger has two 300 yard games through three weeks. And he, there has never been a quarterback less deserving of multiple 300 yard games, but that just goes to show you uh, like people, I assume people listening to this have seen him either on Twitter highlights or unfortunately watching a game of his have watched him play. It's not pretty, but pretty isn't what scores fantasy points. It's passing the ball just a ton. They've actually, Pittsburgh has faced the fewest amount of blitzes so far. And the Packers don't blitz like they're going to sit back and just let him throw because why wouldn't you want a team to gain two yards for play? But that's great because that's going to give us at least 12 points for Deontay Johnson, who's going to have like 10 to 12 catches this game because that's all they could do. So yeah, I think it's a great spot with Devontae Adams. I also like uh, skinny stacks. So again, leaving this open for the afternoon game. If we need a late swap skinny stacks with Rondell Moore isn't the worst idea. Everyone wanted to play him last week after his big week, but we know the volatility in his usage but you bet against that if you need to, since he's such a great player, as he showed on the six fewest routes whenever he blew up for 100 yards in a touchdown. Same situation, same amazing game environment. So Rondo Moore swapping to him if you need to with any of the Rams players, whether it be Sony Michelle, Daryl Henderson, if we get some kind of read in the afternoon, or Robert Woods or Cooper Cup. DeAndre Hopkins also amazing in that game since even at full health, I think he's just going to come in under roster and everyone's going to forget about him and not see that he's completely healthy. Elijah Mitchell in the afternoon, like we talked about, who's around similar to the the pricing of the guys in the afternoon, the running backs. And so him with DK Metcalf, I think is a great skinny stat because if he's healthy, they're going to give the run to Elijah Mitchell. So much so that last week they had Trey Sermon. They had a carry on Johnson, Jacques Patrick available. They still gave Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, nine touches, a career high. He's been in the league nine years. That's how little faith they have in Trey Sermon. So if Mitchell's healthy, I assume he'd just be the full-time back. No one's going to play him if he's healthy, where I think he's an awesome option. I also like Tyreek and Kelsey without Mahomes or Eagles runbacks, just throwing them in there as standalone spots, which will probably be popular. And then... This Minnesota-Cleveland game all around for Minnesota, I think is just going to come in completely under-rostered. So I'm trying to find ways, even in double stacks with runbacks, to load up on this one, honestly. So I, I have two things. One, I want to discuss uh, the theory behind both the Kelsey-Tyreek-Noma-Holmes the, the Kelsey, thing. I, I think that makes sense, especially especially in the contest you're playing, the small field, whereas you, like, you don't need to maximize your roster for a 99th percentile outcome. Whereas you play in the Millie, you are probably getting 
a 2v2 or a 3v3 pivot only worth a few points off the literal optimal if you just ran back with the actual numbers and mm -hmm. optimized. And, uh, you know, it's just randomness that it wasn't the, that you weren't on the optimal, right? It's, it's a functionally the same thing. Whereas in a thousand-man contest, you are, uh, you are obviously not required to have the absolute nuts. I still think, though, if I'm playing, if I'm playing Kelsey and Tyreek, uh, the, the only thing, the only reason I wouldn't play uh, Patrick Mahomes is simply pricing because you just can't afford to play all of them. But if both Tyreek and Kelsey go off for what they need to, which is like 25 points plus, you're getting 50 at a minimum. I would argue you probably want closer to 60 from those two if you're playing both of them. That uh, that alone means that Patrick Mahomes has probably had a really good game. Does it guarantee that he is in the optimal lineup? No, because the pricing constraint could force you to go somewhere else. But at that point, you're also you're saying you want to pay down. Uh, at that point, I'm probably just playing Jalen Hurts then, just because we know the one side of the game scored a ton of points, makes it at least more likely that the other side did as well. So I would say on that aspect, you probably don't have to play Mahomes because the pricing could just not work out. Mahomes can score. 32 and both of those guys go off because the offense could just concentrate on the two best players with a gulf between them and like maybe Michael Hardman but it could honestly like be Demarcus Robinson as their third best player I don't know they're just that much of a morass of players uh it could be the pricing structure just forces you to not play that Mahomes but I think I would generally lean towards like uh like how do you break that sort of uh that tie or at least that measure of correlation where it makes sense I think but you are sort of requiring a weird uh, middle of the Venn diagram outcome to not have Mahomes be in the optimal when two of his pass catchers who are so expensive are. So on DraftKings, giving Jalen Hurts salary, I think that's why I'm paying down. And But also the bonus for the five points, it matters so much. Like to take down tournaments, you have to get the 300-yard bonus. With Hurts, at least there are two ways to do it. He could also even get both. Uh, he came close last week in a blowout. He was still the QB 11 on the week. Got over 300 yards because that's what they're going to do. Having said that on FanDuel, though, it's not really even about getting Mahomes in there since you don't get the bonus. It's just about like which quarterback like does this stack also get 300 yards and three touchdowns. And that's why I think someone like Josh Allen or Kirk Cousins like can easily match Mahomes or at least come under, whereas everyone else is going to think to play Mahomes and without getting the bonus. So I, I would actually push back a little bit and say, I'm fine not having them on FanDuel because of the scoring format and just the structure of it. Yeah, and one other one, uh, I really want to play Rondale. I really struggle to play a guy who sees like less than half of his team. He has negative four air yards. Wait, is that real? Uh, let me let me double check that. I was gonna say that can't be real because I think, but I do think he has a two point something a dot, which is like it's literally less than JD McKissick and James White. Rest in peace, James White. He's being used not even like the cool running backs. He's being used like the regular running backs, and he's not getting a ton of targets. He's being targeted on a very high percentage of his routes because he's a very good player. Like I promise you, any slander I make towards Rondale is simply uh, it's slander on Cliff Kingsbury for not using him in the right way. But like. A.J. Green, I believe, A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins are currently tied in targets. A.J. Green, with a higher ADOT, has a higher share of the team's air yards than DeAndre Hopkins. It's very grimy, but that's kind of the point, is that when you can get so many of Kyler Murray, a reasonable share of Kyler Murray's targets in a game that I want to be targeting at a price that is reasonably low on A.J. Green, and nobody wants to do it, dude, I, I can't believe it. I'm going to have some Does, these, but like A.J. Green. My argument, though, is that the usage doesn't matter for Ron Gilmore. It's still, it, the volatility he brings still has more upside than A.J. Green. Like, does A.J. Green have two touchdowns in his bag? I don't think so. Whereas Ron Gilmore still does. And by the way, negative 10 air yards last week, 43, 14 per game on the season so far. 
But like I, the talent that he is, yeah, yeah. And you, we're not even talking about it if he scores on his little sweep from inside the five yard line, which he almost did. He got stopped at the one. Like he's still people are probably more attracted to him this late. But I will say, like it's a late swap edition. So like if you think you need, you're gonna know in the afternoon what you need. But I would still, even on this usage, I think for tournaments, Rondo Moore still has significantly more ceiling possibilities than AJ Green. That is that is my opinion on it. Man, I don't I, I really struggle to like get past the volume thing. Maybe it's just like my spreadsheet nerd brain is like uh just want the players who who get targeted more. I know in a season long, uh in a season long context, I would assume it holds on a on a week to week basis, is that the best predictor of volatility is volume because players who don't get a lot of volume, uh, they have a really tight distribution and it's close to zero. Obviously, I'm not saying Rondell has a distribution close to zero. I think it's obviously more than that. But uh, also AJ Green. We saw, I, I believe it was last week, it might have been two weeks ago, like multiple end zone fades on the same damn drive. I don't think they should be doing it. Again, none of this is an argument that they're right. playing in a smart way. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury, I, I think he maybe gets some of the general underpinnings of good offense, and then you get into the micro detail, and he's just like, got to play A.J. Green over Rondale Moore. That being said, they also are targeting A.J. Green in the end zone, in the red zone as well, so... I think all are fine because I, I'm targeting, I'm going to have enough because uh, I'm playing more than just a few lines. I'll probably, I'll probably have close like 60 or 70, something like that. And a lot of that will be Kyler Murray because it doesn't look like he's going to be that popular this week. So I will also have Rondale Moore. It's just, I, I probably end up getting more AJ Green. It's sad, but uh, I'm going to chase the usage on him. You're right. That's sad. It's we're going to, we're going to go into a segment I just made up because it helped me last week when we talked about it. And mm-hmm. like, we didn't go in depth on Josh Allen. I felt bad because we knew he could take down. We talked about him a little bit. But, like, we didn't go into it last week, and we should have gone into it knowing that he was a high upside play. So just we're going to call this Daigle's Loose Notes. Very <laughs> on-the-fly title. And so I just want to talk to you about what do you think about the Bills team total, the highest on the board, and we really haven't talked about Bills players just yet. Like, I think Dawson Knox is a good way to get cheap on tight end on DraftKings since it's not just a target share that's increased in the touchdowns the past two weeks. He's running around at an elite rate. Like Dwayne McFarland of PFF always talks about 80% routes run on his team's dropbacks for tight ends. That's the threshold we need. Kyle Pitts, for instance, at 83% on Ryan's dropbacks. And Dawson Knox has been there the past two games. He's run nearly every route. Uh, backup has only run five routes all year long. And so, like, I think that's where you can punt on DK. Not on FanDuel, but on DK. And I think that's how you get exposure. Maybe Zach Moss on FanDuel just trying to get touchdown equity. Or are you ignoring the, the highest team total on the board? Oh, no, I think I think last week is probably we didn't. I did think we hit on him. Uh, I would be surprised if, if we didn't like at least hit on him a little bit because uh, I had a decent amount of Josh Allen's pretty convicted yeah. on that uh, throughout the week. But like it doesn't it's not it's not some sort of galaxy brain play. Uh, you know, Josh Allen, we saw last year, incredibly good through touchdowns at a high rate through deep bombs, had rushing production and his team only like, you know, is going to be pass rate over expectation league leader, at least based on last year and early starts this year. Should probably play that guy. That was about the analysis. It holds this week, and now we are more confident because that three-week stretch to start the year that eh, maybe he's a little more like 2019 Josh Allen, probably just a fluke given you know the incredible sample he gave us last year. Now he looks back on track. Uh, yeah, especially because I think he will be popular, but I think he's a, a player given that the options around him to stack with him are relatively nebulous. Like it, it could totally be you know a Zach Moss receiving touchdown, Dawson Knox two receiving touchdown game, and you're holding your Stephon Diggs bags. Like where did I go wrong? I don't. I think the answer is you didn't go wrong. This is going to be a little bit more of a spread out, or at least the touchdowns have the potential to be more spread out than other teams, and that's okay because at the end of the day, 
there will be games where Dawson Knox scores twice and you have the Dawson Knox and you absolutely smash. So it requires more lineups to cover your bases or you will just play more weeks of playing Josh Allen where you get it wrong. But we saw last week, the upside is 40 point games from his court from the quarterback plus multiple 20 plus point games from the receivers so i think it's another one where i think josh allen will be popular unlike kyler murray who doesn't look to be that popular as of you know friday afternoon we've got two days or so to figure it out but i'm fine playing josh allen because his weapons are going to be relatively unpopular relative to quarterbacks who have a tighter target distribution it's pretty easy to pick out their receivers for me at some point, we're going to see Stephon Diggs bounce back. I don't know if he posts the same numbers as he did last year over the course of a full season. His volume numbers are a little bit down, but they are not multiple standard deviations down. I don't think he's being used in a fundamentally different way, at least in a way I'm confident saying yet. Yeah, if these numbers through, you know, three weeks, four, three weeks now, if they hold throughout the course of the season, sure, we'd look back and say, oh, you know, the different receivers, maybe it's the addition of Manuel Sanders. They cut into him. But right now, he still leads the team in target share by a few percent. He still is crushing his, the rest of his teammates by over, I believe, 7% in air yard share. And he's still getting a healthy amount of the red zone and end zone targets. It's close enough to last year. It's not the same, but it's close enough for me to say it's probably just randomness. Guys, especially receivers, when their entire game can come down to just a few targets, it's just not a lot of iterations of something. Is uh, It's enough for me to say that I believe Stephon Diggs is good. Variance has probably run against him in terms of even target distribution through three weeks. I believe he will bounce back at some point. And I think given the slow start to the year, I don't think, I think 63 is his highest receiving total through three weeks. I know he hasn't topped 70. Is uh, That's enough for me to say people won't be on him despite Josh Allen and the offense being in just such a great spot with, as you said, the highest implied team total. Yeah, I'm just going to keep betting on Stephon Diggs until it works someday. Also, I believe people would tell you that it's a good situation it is for Alvin Kamara given that he's going overlooked and we're discussing the two other running backs priced yeah. higher than him and focused on two running backs lower but that's why I'm curious to get your opinion on it I would combat that and say I don't think he has a ceiling I'm chasing in this offense I think the offense is so putrid and they are purposely running at league low rates and seconds between plays and seconds in neutral situation because the goal of this offense is to limit the turnovers and win possession battle. And that's it. They do not care about putting up 35 points ever. And so I actually don't think Kamara has a ceiling, this entire ceiling that we think he does. Yeah, I struggle. Uh, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. It feels uh, disappointing to say at the least. But yeah, the offense doesn't look awfully conducive. And right now his average up targets under one. So they're not really pushing him down the field. I, I mean, you know, especially without Michael Thomas, you would have thought like he would have been absolutely explosive as a receiver. We saw last year without Michael Thomas, like he was borderline, like the, the one of the first times you'll ever find a literal wide receiver one, not just like he gets a lot of targets, but he's playing that number one receiver role. We haven't quite seen that like sort of explosive receiving potential from him. He's running the ball a lot more than he used to. I believe he's got like one career game, maybe two career games of 20 carries before this season. He's done it twice, but we never wanted Alvin Kamara because we were going to, we were betting on 20 carries. We wanted yeah. him because, because he has the most targets in his single game in NFL history. That's why we wanted Alvin Kamara and we're not seeing that Alvin Kamara. So uh, just purely based on feels three weeks, isn't a long sample. Maybe I'm adjusting my priors too much, but based on how I feel when I look at how they're using Alvin Kamara, I feel the same way. Any other loose notes you want to talk about? Parting thoughts? 
No, I mean, I think you uh, covered it well. I guess I'll add on that I actually am a little interested in Devonta Smith has averaged over 100 air yards per game. And it's a game that should just be uh, like a complete smash in terms of play volume. It has the highest, uh, yeah, highest total of the week right now at 54 and a half. One other game, I believe it's that Arizona game that is around the same total. So I'll throw in Devonta Smith as like a cheap flyer if you're playing uh, either side of that game, really. His price on FanDuel is also really good. If you need to pay down at wide receiver, uh, that's where I'm considering playing him and stacks without Jalen Hurts. But I think that's about it for this week. Good luck to everyone out there. As always, I'm at Diggle on Twitter. If you have any other questions, he is at Kyle Tweets here. Remember, we will be back on Sunday morning, 1 p.m. noon, actually. Noon, I will always get times mixed up since the days run together in season for our special start set show and previewing the overnight news that usually trickles out as well as our favorite situations have some better reads on team totals and lines as well since they usually get steamed overnight on Saturday. So join us for your start set questions then we will answer them all then. Until then, Kyle and I, we will definitely see you next week. Good luck. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.